Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Economics in Business podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Martin, and in this episode, we're talking about the Good Growth for Cities Index, which has just published its 2020 results. Developed by PwC and the think tank Demos in the aftermath of the financial crisis, Good Growth for Cities measures the performance of the UK's largest cities against 10 indicators that the public thinks are most important when it comes to economic well-being. 10 years after its launch, as we leave another global crisis, the time is ripe to reflect on what economic success really means from place to place and where our priorities must lie when it comes to recovery. Discussing these issues and more, I'm joined virtually by George Mason, one of the economists who conducted the analysis behind this year's report, and James Bowman, a South East and London PwC partner who has worked for the last 15 years specialising in local government transformation. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Freddie. Thanks, Freddie. Now, George, you've worked on the index for a number of years, and although I've given a very brief explanation of good growth for cities, I was wondering, could you go into a bit more detail about the index and in particular why it was felt it was necessary after the financial crisis? Sure. So we really created our first good growth for cities with the think tank Demos back in 2011. And so the aim of the index, kind of in the aftermath of that financial crisis, was to recognise that traditional narrow measures of success are no longer really an accurate way of measuring a place's overall well-being. So if, for example, we believe that the pursuit of growth is about improving citizens' prosperity, really that focus there needs to be wider than just kind of GDP or GBA. So what our index looks at is kind of a broader set of measures. So we look at things like jobs, income, health, skills, work-life balance, housing, transport, and then also the environment. And those characteristics were chosen by the UK public as essential for kind of judging a place's overall success. And then we, we then weight those according to the level of relative importance. So in this year's index, what we've seen is an increase in the average score for each of these cities, with Oxford, Reading and Southampton in the top three performers. So thanks, George, for going into sort of why the index was constructed and a bit about the results for this year. Uh, James, I wanted to understand sort of how the index is used, um, particularly for cities and local areas. Thanks, Freddie. So good growth for cities is so useful for cities and local councils, which I work with. As George says, a basis for successful place isn't just how wealthy it is. You can be really wealthy as an area on average, but that can hide huge discrepancies in life expectancy and outcomes for people. Just because the average life expectancy is great doesn't mean it's great for everyone. Good growth for cities gives another lens. It shows why people would want to live somewhere and work in a place. And actually, in my work, it gives a really important steer to local politicians about where services and funds should be should be focused. Uh, it gives a really important sense check of progress as well, because it's been running for a long time. Um, I'm personally a real big fan of the TV show Location, Location, Location. Um, I'm not sure, George, Fred, if you watch it. But they always give a little bit of blurb about each place at the start. I actually think that good growth for cities material actually gives a much better, more balanced lens about a place. Perhaps ask Phil and Kirsty if they should start adding it into their intros. Yes, I think probably a lot of uh, reality TV programmes could be improved with a bit more economic analysis, but um, perhaps that's just me. But um, you've both mentioned then the importance of looking beyond GDP to understand economic prosperity. And I think it does seem quite intuitive and obvious that it is many different facets of people's lives that determine their overall well-being rather than just income, for example. So, George, you mentioned these 10 indicators. And I was wondering, how are you able to choose those 10 specific measures? And 
what work went into deciding the relative weightings for them when comparing cities? Sure. Yes, yeah, so, so I guess the first step really in determining our weights is to refresh our public polling. So what we do every year is we run a poll with over 2000 citizens of working age, and then we test how the importance of our measures have changed in defining an area's overall success. So this is really important because what it means is that our index you know, continually captures what matters most to the public in that given year. So we use the results of that polling, and then we use that to calculate the relative weights for those measures. So interestingly, we don't typically see much change year on year and the weightings of different variables. So for example, if we look at the weights in this year's index, what we see is they're actually the same as last year's. But if you look over the longer term, I guess what you can see is that some variables increase in their relative importance. So for example, if we take health, what we've seen is that that's become increasingly important in recent years, and it's now seen as the joint most important variable in the index. In contrast, if you look at jobs, which has historically always been the most important variable, actually that's started to wane in importance in recent years, which I guess reflects things like the you know, historically low unemployment rates in the UK. Uh, and as a result, it's kind of become slightly less important in the eyes of the public. But I think what's going to be interesting uh, next year is that clearly the pandemic has had a fundamental shift in the consciousness of the public and also what matters most to them. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those weightings change over the course of the next couple of years. Thanks, George. That's really interesting to hear. I think it makes sense that, you know, people's fundamental priorities are roughly consistent across years. But it's so interesting to learn how that's shifting in response to major events. And yeah, as you say, particularly to see what's going to happen now the pandemic has hit to understanding people's priorities. And so we've talked a bit about how people's the public's weightings have changed over the years. But I was wondering, George, what are the main trends within the results of the index um, over the past few years? Sure. So I think, I guess one of the key points to note about the index is that we use a three-year weighted average. The reason we do that is to try and smooth out the volatility that can occur in the data at this level. So really, when we're talking about the 2020 index, what we're referring to is uh, data from 2017 to 19. So the trends that we see uh, relative to last year's index are really driven by changes uh, in the data between 2016 and 2019. And actually the biggest improvement that we've seen across the variables over this period is in income, which kind of shows that you know, between 2016 and 19, what we've seen is there's been a, a general increase in the levels of household income. What's perhaps a bit more worrying is that over the past year, what we've seen is, is a decline in the average scores for things like health, skills of young people, so those aged between 16 to 24, and then also new businesses. We know that COVID has had a huge impact on each of those variables, so that's kind of a particularly worrying trend. And I think related to that, you know, what we know is that addressing skills gaps, unemployment and health challenges are therefore gonna be a key priority for policymakers if they're gonna uh, improve their rate of recovery in the aftermath of the pandemic. George, perhaps I could pick up on the, the health point you made, because uh, the decline now I found most interesting in the region. So in my view, it's not acceptable for local political leaders to lead a place to prosperity, but allow some people to decline. And if you look at the averages of life expectancy in the southeast, it looks great, but there are some areas and some people that are being left behind. So it's not just health, but it's health inequality that matters. And there's a 
rightly a huge focus and debate in the country at the moment about leveling up across the country. And most of the things I've seen and most of the conversations have been about rebalancing things north to south into region leveling up. And I saw the government department, MHCLG, announced uh, moving their office to Wolverhampton earlier this week as, as part of that. But I think that's really a bit of a missed opportunity in intra-region levelling up. So levelling up within a region. I mean, the, what the Good Growth for Cities Index kind of shows is it can't be right that you can walk a kilometre down the road um, in areas, especially in the southeast where I'm focused, and life expectancy could drop by 10, 15 years in such a short geography. That perhaps doesn't happen in other places in the country as much. So that's levelling up within a region. So I, I suppose another reason why GVA itself is not a great measure, because if you looked at that, that would be hidden in the southeast. And that's the value and colour given by something like Good Growth for Cities. I think that's a really interesting and nuanced point that you've mentioned there, James, and, and one that's often left out of the levelling up discussion that's, that's had so often now. And we've been able to discuss the long term trends before the pandemic. And George, you mentioned before that the this is index doesn't actually use data from 2020, but 2017 to 19. So how do you think the pandemic is going to impact the results of the index for next year and the years to come? And, is there anything you can tell us about, you know, potential recovery profiles of different cities within the index? Yeah, sure. So I guess, as you say, what we use in the index is kind of data from 2017 to 19. And the reason for that is just because that's the latest available information that we have at this kind of local authority level. So really what the index is giving you is a snapshot of how cities were performing going into the pandemic. So what we've done in this year's report is we've also looked at the expected impacts that COVID-19 is likely to have on cities. So that's primarily based on kind of the sectoral mix of each city. So that takes into account how those sectors have been impacted in 2020, and then also what their recovery profiles are likely to be in 2021. We then overlay that with things like the Google Mobility Index, COVID-19 infection rates, and also the percentage of people in the furlough scheme. And we use that to kind of calculate what the expected GVA impact is to different cities in both 2020 and in 2021. And perhaps unsurprisingly, what we've seen is that the pandemic is expected to impact cities disproportionately across the UK. So, for example, we estimate that Edinburgh is going to be the least impacted city and Liverpool is going to be the most impacted city in 2020. And in the case of Liverpool, what's driving that is really kind of due to that high number of COVID-19 cases that they saw over the summer. And if we look ahead to 2021, we think that the strongest recovery profiles are likely to be seen in cities like Medway and Doncaster, who have a really strong reliance on the construction sector within their economies. And we expect that sector to grow by roughly 14.2% in 2021. So really it's kind of that sectoral mix that's gonna be driving growth uh, over the course of the next two years. Thanks, George. I think that's a really important point, particularly that the recovery profile is so varying between cities. And because of that, our route for recovery is going to have to be very tailored from place to place. And again, shows the value of having indices like these to really pinpoint how we can promote recovery between areas coming out of the pandemic. And James, We've gone into some of the main results and trends coming from the index, but I wanted to know your view on how we should apply these results in practice to local recovery. Thanks, Freddie. Well, I think the results show an interesting pointer. So, so some wider, wider macroeconomic changes we're seeing across the country. I mean, post-COVID, we're seeing a general movement outside cities, both in terms of people 
being balanced to more home working and hybrid working, so not traveling into the bigger cities, and actually people moving. And Good Growth for Cities shows, firstly, why people should be moving there. And it gives pointers for cities and regions how to attract people coming out of the cities. I mean, I work with a number of large local authorities in the southeast, and I think we're beginning to see the end to commuter towns. Whereas public services historically needed to cater for people, perhaps just at weekends, because everyone was traveling into the big cities for work. If people working at home two, three days a week, that's going to fundamentally change the makeup of the place. So a fundamental change of the makeup of places across the country. Um, and as a council and as a local leader, you can wait for that to happen or you can help shape it. And councils own a huge amount of property in each town centre. That can be reshaped for more effective community use. And I think we'll see a lot more of that over the, over the coming years. Been saying that, I don't think it's a change that will take a long time to happen. I think you'll see an increasing number of people moving out of London into the southeast. PwC's economic output report um, in January showed that London's population could fall by 300,000 in 2021. It's certainly, certainly something I've already seen from my own teams relocating. Um, I think that actually gives us a bit of an opportunity in the southeast region. Um, and in fact, all across the ring around uh, London, we've already got the highest furlough rates in the country. And that will exacerbate the challenges I talked about, about health inequalities. How do we grasp the opportunity of perhaps people moving outside of London and attracting more growth? This fits with the flexible working and less commuting uh, that we'll see. So I think we'll see the whole of the southeast be reshaped by those macroeconomic indicators that good growth for city has already been appointed for. And James, I think that's a really great point and particularly highlights the fact that there are opportunities we can take from the pandemic, such as flexible working and commuting. And I know for one that I'm definitely not going to go back to commuting five days a week like I was doing before. But George, finally, I was wondering whether you had any final insights on this from the work that you've done so far for Good Growth? Yeah, so in our report, we outlined six recommendations that we think central government, businesses and local leaders should consider as we come out of the pandemic. I think the results for our analysis can really be used by policymakers as a snapshot to understand where the localities are performing well, but also where potential areas of improvement might be needed. So as we start to return back to normality, and Freddie, as you you know maybe start to commute a bit more to the office, I think it's critical that local leaders start to address any shortfalls that are caused by the pandemic. So for example, developing the skills of young people. I think we then need to tie that back into the wider agenda of delivering inclusive growth and then also leveling up. So that's leveling up both across different regions, but also, as James noted earlier, within regions themselves. Thank you, George and James, for both joining me today. It's been really great to get into the detail of the index and in particular, see how we can apply its findings to help develop targeted local recovery strategies, both in response to the pandemic and just in general. If you'd like to learn more about the Good Growth for Cities report or see where your local area ranks in the index, then be sure to visit the PwC website and check the description of this episode where you can find a link to this year's results. Along with this, our sister podcast, Business in Focus, has also recently released a Good Growth episode that goes into more detail on the recommendations for recovery set out in the report. You can find that episode through PwC website, iTunes or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to the Economics in Business podcast to keep up to date with our latest episodes. And thank you for listening.